20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 676 of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman have a special episode lined up for you today. Um, For many of you who don't know, I actually also do another podcast called the NFL Draft Insiders Podcast for Pro Football Network. I do that podcast every Wednesday night and it launches every Thursday. And I get to do that with the one and only Tony Pauline. Um, For those of you who don't know Tony, he's one of the the best NFL draft insiders in the business. He does a tremendous job scouting. Uh, He covers the draft primarily for Pro Football Network. Uh, But he has a lot of inside information, uh, knows a ton about football, um, has a lot of connections with inside the NFL. Uh, So it's it's a real joy for me to be able to get to do that podcast with him every single week. Uh, for today's podcast, I figured I would kind of give you a, a listen in to the NFL Draft Insiders podcast. Uh, earlier last week, uh, Tony and I had the opportunity uh, to break down some of the movement in the AFC North and the NFC North. Um, obviously, since that involves the Packers as well as the rest of the division, um, I figured this would be a good opportunity for you guys to get a listen into that podcast, uh, get a listen into Tony. Um, so hopefully, if you guys have never had the opportunity to check that out, uh, this will be your opportunity to do so. Uh, So Tony and I start off by actually discussing uh, some of the news surrounding college football and and the Reggie Bush story from a week ago. If you haven't had a chance to kind of dig into that, um, that was an interesting story that we kind of opened up with and discussed. Um, Then we broke down the AFC North and the NFC North. Um, But again, uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. If you are interested, you can find it on uh, Pro Football Network's podcast network. Um, Again, it's called the NFL Draft Insiders Podcast. Uh, It is with myself and Tony Pauline. We record every single week and it launches every single Thursday. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with an all new uh, edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast, Um, but enjoy this special edition of the NFL Draft Insiders podcast with myself and Tony Pauline. Thanks everyone. Everybody and welcome into another episode of the NFL Draft Insiders podcast. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. The star of the show and the the person that everyone's tuning in to listen to uh, is the one and only Tony Pauline. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline. Uh, Tony, it's been a, a fairly quiet week. Nothing too crazy. No major NFL arrests. I don't think in the yeah. last. Thankfully, uh, how have, how are things been going for you? Hopefully, no major arrests for you either. Uh, you know, unless I hear a knock at the door within the next half hour. So far, so good. So, I mean, it's okay. I hope everyone had a nice Memorial Day weekend, although it was a little bit different this year. No Indianapolis 500, which I'm a big fan of. No baseball. Even the uh, National Memorial Day concert, if you watch that, which I do religiously every year, was a lot different this year. It was more highlights from uh, concerts past uh, which takes place on the Capitol. But I, I know in some parts of our country are getting back to normal, which is good to see. New York is still a little bit behind the times, though. 
Yeah, starting to get there. Uh, again, we're get, we're starting to get, you know, trickling out news of potential restarting Major League Baseball and, yep. and uh, hockey and, and basketball. So, you know, hopefully more good news around the corner there. Uh, you know, one interesting piece of news this week that I thought we could kind of kick things off with, and I'm interested to hear your take on this, uh, was kind of Reggie Bush's comments. So uh, it sounds like maybe they were taken a little bit out of context, but we'll kind of go into that in just a moment. For a, a brief history lesson, I'm a history major, so I like going over the, the history first. Uh, the NCAA Board of Governors announced last month that it really supports uh, college athletes signing endorsement contracts and potentially receiving payment for their work as long as schools are not involved in those payments for obvious reasons. Um, the, the next proposal is due in October and a vote is expected no later than next January on how that could potentially happen. Um, going back even further, of course, Reggie Bush uh, was sort of surrounded by controversy for a while for accepting benefits while playing at USC, and he ultimately eventually for Heisman Trophy. The reason this was in the news this week is uh, he did a, a kind of a sit down or an interview for Playboy. And uh, he was kind of quoted as saying the first part was not exactly quote. It was paying college athletes who don't have proper gui guidance is, quote, going to destroy some people. And later out, you know, later it came out that uh, he said, this is not what I said or the context that I said it in. Um, Tony, I'm not sure about you. I kind of took this as he was saying, you know, players need proper guidance. And he kind of went into how he wished he would have had a little bit better guidance when he was a younger player. Maybe would have he spent his money a little bit wiser. That's kind of what I got out of it. But what was your takeaway from this entire saga with, with Reggie Bush? That's exactly what I took away from it. And I applaud Reggie Bush for saying it because he's absolutely correct. And it's, you know, it's not just college football players. We've seen in history what, have ha what has happened with NFL players who, you know, had no money uh, to their name. And then all of a sudden they sign a contract in the NFL for millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And then soon after, uh, they retire within years. They're broke because they were not smart with their money. Heck, I mean, how many stories do you see in the general public of someone who wins untold millions in a lottery and it ruins their life because they don't know what to do with it? I absolutely agree with Reggie Bush. I'm glad he said what he said. I, I, I agree with him in, in the context in which he said it. You know, a lot of people, their talents are athletic. In this case, we talk about football talents. Their talents are not handling money. And in that sort of situation, you have to get hooked up with the right people. Because all of a sudden, when you know, you're bestowed, if you're a college kid, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you become an NFL player, tens of millions of dollars. All of a sudden, everybody wants to be your friend. And all of a sudden, you find out about you had relatives that you never knew you had because <laughs> everyone's looking for a payout. I remember ESPN had a special on this a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's all walks of life. I remember Bernie Kosar, when he was interviewed, saying how it was his own family that was ripping him off. And really, the day that he went bankrupt was one of the best days of his life because all of a sudden the phone stopped ringing with people asking for money. So uh, what Reggie Bush said from experience, I thought was spot on. And, and Reggie Bush is the kind of guy that should be talking to college players about this sort of situation. You know, just because you fall into a, a bunch of money doesn't mean the money grows on trees and, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be nonstop. You got to be smart with it. 
Yeah, I'm with you and, and I'm with Reggie Bush as well. I, I didn't think there was anything specifically controversial here. You know, he's basically stating, you know, hey, you know, yes, it, you know, if you're going to get more money at, at a younger age and, and you're not maybe going to know what to do with that money, probably best to have some some additional guidance. And, and that's smart. That I think, like you said, it, it, he's in a position, Reggie Bush being in a position to, to really talk to people on that level because he was there. He went through it, you know, whether, you know, we want to talk about the benefits that he got from, you know, while playing at USC or not but either way even when he got to the NFL and got a windfall of money you know for, through that you know you have to know how to deal with those type of situations and if you don't have the right people in your ear it's gonna it's gonna be cause for concern because as he sort of mentioned in his article there are gonna be the sharks that kind of come out of the water because they're gonna smell blood because they're gonna smell a, an 18 19 year old player uh, who is now with a ton of money that they didn't have before or at least some money that they didn't have before and uh, there's an opportunity to take advantage of people like that. Unfortunately, it's just kind of the way that it is, unfortunately. So having additional guidance and additional support in that situation, to me, is a good thing. And like I said, nothing nothing controversial about that, in my opinion. And, and you know, you, you made a statement. And while it's easy to make the statement, sometimes it's tough to follow through when you said you have to have the right people following, uh, you know, around you to help you make decisions. Because sometimes they may seem like the right decisions, but they don't have your interest in mind. They have other people's interest in mind. And again, you know, the NFL sports, especially the NFL is rife with people who were financial advisors, you know, people who help players with finances and were basically making poor investments and, and players ended up broke. Now it's a lot different, thankfully these days than what it was even 10 years ago. Now you have guys that have to be certified. You, you know, you, you can go check them out. You can check out their SEC record, etc. So there are a lot of legitimate people there to help the players, even the college players. Um, but again, you know, it, it's, it's very dangerous where, you know, it's like giving someone who never drove before a hot rod and saying, you know, here you go, have fun. I mean, <laughs> if, if there's not a lot of precaution taken, it could end up disastrous. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that probably brings us to the next point in the discussion. The obvious uh, transition here is, is should the NCA be allowing players to receive compensation for endorsements? Is that, is that a good idea in your opinion? Absolutely. I, I mean, there's no reason why uh, these guys should not be, making money when the schools and the NC2A are making tons of money off their likenesses, off their images. I mean, I have a problem when, say, a school like Clemson is making a ton of money selling number 16 jerseys. And everybody wants to buy a number 16 jersey because it's a jersey of Trevor Lawrence, yet Trevor Lawrence gets no benefit from that. I mean, the reason they're selling that many jerseys is because of what Trevor Lawrence has done on the field. And I firmly believe they say the schools can't get involved, but the schools are benefiting off of these kids. And I'm not talking about on the field where they are benefiting to the tunes of billions of dollars, but they're benefiting from these kids' images and, and these kids' persona. I mean, I remember Johnny Manziel when he was a sophomore at Texas A&M. And I never liked Johnny Manziel as an NFL prospect, but I remember there was all this controversy because evidently he was paid $25,000 or $30,000 to do an autograph signing. Well, you know, if there are people that are willing to pay to stand online and pay for Johnny Manziel's autograph, 
why shouldn't Johnny Manziel or any other player, for that matter, you know, reap the benefits of that? I, I'm absolutely for it. I, I think it's been so oppressive in the past. You know, A.J. Green, if you remember, A.J. Green, when he was at Georgia, was uh, was suspended the first four games of his junior season because he sold his jersey. It was his jersey, but the NC2A said, well, no, you, you can't do that. You can't sell, you know, your own jersey because it's into NC2A uh, property or whatever it was. All the situations with the kids at Ohio State who were selling their jewelry or or trading in some of their uh, their bowl rings and, and things like that to get tattoos – to me, that that's ridiculous. I mean, these kids earn those sorts of things. These kids have built up a persona. You know, it, it, it's time for them to be able to cash in some way, especially when everyone else is making billions of dollars off their name. Yeah, I could not, uh, you know, possibly agree with you more. I absolutely believe that they're the ones that are reaping or, you know, sowing the benefits. They should reap from the benefits as well. And, uh, you know, again, it's their likeness. Um, they have the ability uh, to go out and, and get hurt and get injured at any given time. They're putting their bodies on the line. Uh, they absolutely absolutely should be able to, to kind of earn some money off of their likeness uh, if they're in a position to do so. There's just there's just no downside, you know, to other than, I guess, to the financial, uh, you know, bank, they're the banking accounts of maybe some of the schools and things like that. But they're making so much money off of it anyway. It just shouldn't even be a, a question, in my opinion. And again, like I said, you know, you go into a, Cle- a bookstore in Clemson and you're going to see number 16 jerseys all over the place for 40, 50 bucks a pop or whatever. There's even more uh, T-shirts or whatever. And, you know, everyone's buying them because of Trevor Lawrence. I mean, <laughs> why shouldn't he benefit from that as well as the school. Yeah, 100% agree. So and then I think the the last logical question here is should the players just be flat out paid by the colleges for playing in college football? I know that's kind of the next question, and obviously it goes well beyond college football. It it really kind of involves uh, potentially all college athletes, but what is your stance on that? A little bit of no and a little bit of yes. What do I mean by when I say that? I don't think that the college players should be paid for in-season play for regular bowl season play. I don't think they should be paid money. I think they should be able to expense things. Like if a college player is working out at a gym and he builds up gym expenses before he goes back to school, say he's working out over the summer when he goes home, I think that should be expensed because he's working out to help the team. He shouldn't receive payment for that, but that should be expensed. I think that, you know, some of these restrictive travel or the restrictions on travel, those should be expensed. Players should be able to travel back and forth to home and to school, and that should be able to be expensed. I think that, you know, meals oftentimes should be expensed. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, for the uh, we were going to have if we were in Vegas, one of the players that was going to be with us was Max Crosby of the Las, Ve- uh, the Las Vegas Raiders uh, out of uh, Eastern Michigan. And I remember Crosby's junior year just reporting because uh, reporting on him because I liked him so much. And what I found out about Crosby was he wasn't able to eat properly at Eastern Michigan. Basically, when the training table was closed. That was it. He didn't have enough money to go out and buy meals if he was hungry at night and the training table was closed. That's not fair. I mean, granted, you can say that's a societal problem. But when a guy like Max Crosby is playing for Eastern Michigan and Eastern Michigan's getting money because of TV deals, uh, being on TV and bowl games, 
guys like Max Crosby and his teammates should be a, should be able to expense, you know, meal money, if you will, if they can't eat because the training table is closed. So uh, I, I think they, they should be able to expense more. Where I think they should get paid is if they expand the college playoffs. I have been an opponent of that because I feel that if you expand the college playoffs, like a lot of people want, like they're talking about, you're putting a lot of these kids next level potential at jeopardy because you're having them play extra games. There's extra strain on their body. If, if they're going to play extra games for in an expanded playoff, then these guys need to get some form of compensation uh, because they're at risk. You're putting their NFL futures at risk because you look at Alabama, you look at the history of Alabama, how many guys have been injured, how many guys come into the league beat up. And now you want to extend, you know, you want to increase the amount of games they're going to play for a college football playoff. And while the NC2A is going to make millions upon millions more, if not billions upon millions of more, if there is, my feeling is, is if they expand the college playoffs, you got to compensate these guys. Regular in-season games, no, I, I don't think they should be paid, but I think there should be a larger degree of what they can expense or what the school should pay for them is a better way to say it. That's yeah, an interesting concept on a variety of different fronts. I, I definitely agree with you. I think some of those things should be able to be expensed. Uh, no college football player uh, that is, you know, gonna eventually, um, you know, be playing at any level, whether it's D1, D2, D3, whatever, uh, they should not have to not have enough food to, to be able to maintain the weight that they need to maintain and play at the level that they need to play at. I think that's a, a simple resolution and a simple solution. Um, I, I also wonder if there wouldn't be some benefit because we see, you know, now the, the trend is with some of these top players who are sitting out of bowl games because uh, they're getting ready for the the draft and they're going to go pro and they don't want to get hurt and things like that. I, I'm almost wondering if you couldn't incentivize uh, by paying, you know, the winning team of the bowl game, you know, a certain amount of money or just incentivizing for there be, to be more benefit in actually playing in that game where it's a win-win. It's a win for the player. If they win they or participate, they get more money. Um, and, and, you know, that helps. I don't know if, if maybe, you know, some of these top players who are going to get major deals, if it would be enough to register or anyway, but uh, maybe it could at least be part of the discussion. Possibly, but I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not so much for for the regular bowl season. But if you're going to expand the playoffs, what it means is the NC2A is going to bring in God knows how many untold millions of additional dollars. Uh, and some of that on expanded playoffs, I feel, should be passed on to the players who are helping bring in those untold millions of dollars. You know, it's funny. Let's go back to what I, what about expensing thing and players and, and some of the restrictive measures by the NC2A, you know, and getting good information. If a player is taken out by an agent, even after the season is done, well, I'm sorry, during the season, if a player wants, if an agent wants to take a player out to lunch, uh, just to talk about the player, about maybe representing him, his future, things like that. The agent is not allowed to pay for that lunch via NC2A rules. So, and I've heard this time and time again from agents, you know, I want to take the guy out for lunch, but the guy may not have enough money to pay for lunch, which is, you know, and I understand the NC2A, you know, they want to clamp down. They want to prevent things where the agent is not only paying for lunch, but they're slipping the guy a thousand dollars. Obviously, right. you know, you, you, you can't let that happen. But still, I, I mean, 
the kid is one of the player wants to talk to people, whether it be financial people, whether it be agents about their future, because once the see their season ends, they got to make a decision. And, you know, who's ever is interested in taking this player on with representation can't even pay for the kid's lunch during the season, which to me is just, it's, it's just out of control. And here's my thought on it too, is that, Let's be real. If if said agent wants to slip said player a thousand dollars, he's gonna find a way to do it, whether they're at lunch or not. Like the the twenty five dollar meal that's in between the, the that discussion is is probably fairly irrelevant because they're gonna find a way to have that conversation if they want to have that conversation. It, it just seems like that's probably gonna happen if it's the sort of person that's going to do that anyway. I don't think the lunch is what's holding them back, but maybe I'm naive, but it just seems that, you know, the the ability for for coaches and, and agents to be able to buy these players lunch now and again to have those type of conversations, it, it just, again, it seems... Uh, it, it seems like something that's way past due and, and needs to be implemented sooner rather than later. And, and And here's a little secret for everybody. Oftentimes, they're not paying the players, but they're playing, they're paying the players' parents or they're paying the players' confidants. So, you, you know, the, the parents may be receiving money and things like that. Uh, so the kid, a lot of times the top players are not getting money directly, but the agent who wants to sign the player is feeding the, uh, is feeding the money through the parents. That would never happen, Tony. That's, that's all hearsay. That would no. I'm totally kidding. That's uh, I'm sure that absolutely takes place. Um, Often, uh, more more than people would. Uh, I mean, more than people understand or realize. And it's not just with the top guys. I mean, it's guys who end up uh, as as a uh, third day selections as well. Well, it's it's a competitive world out there for agents to say the least. And and I'm sure every one of them is trying to do everything they can to get ahead. Um, that's probably another conversation for another day. But uh, anything else at all that you wanted to you know to touch on on this Reggie Bush discussion before we kind of wrap this up and go through our AFC North and NFC North uh, transactions this off season? No, I, you know I, I was surprised that the way it came across and sort of the controversy that was surrounding it. And when I read what Bush said, I mean, even if he wasn't taken out of context, it made complete sense to me, basically from being in the, the football business for so long and and seeing what's going on. Never mind the fact, shouldn't surprise anybody, because like I said, let's forget about football for a while. I mean, how many stories are out there of people who won millions upon millions uh, in the lottery and, and have had their lives ruined? Yeah, it happens all the time. There's documentaries on it and everything else. And it, it just when you go from from, you know, not having a, you know, any sort of significant amount of money to a massive significant amount of money, there's going to be a change in lifestyle. There's going to be a change in demeanor from people surrounding you. There's going to be a change in how you go in your day to day. And, and that's a lot to handle. And, you know, when uh, this is. I don't know, this is a probably another rabbit hole to jump down, but it, it sort of harkens to when somebody has like a, a transformative surgery or like a weight loss surgery. And, and when people do that, they're required to go see psychologists because they said, listen, you're, you're going to feel different about yourself. People are going to look at you different. Uh, you know, all these different things, they have you go through psychological exams before they even perform that surgery. It's a requirement before that uh, because it, it's just such a, a massive change in such a short period of time. And there's no difference, uh, you know, on, on the surface, at least from, from going again, from no money to a lot of money in a short period. It's just, a, it's too much of a change too quick. And some people simply can't handle that, that, that swing. Yeah, absolutely. And again, because people come out of the woodwork, everybody wants to be your best friend and, you know, people can be manipulative and 
make you feel that you know somehow you're wrong or you're bad if not if you're not sharing your newfound wealth with with them which is uh, completely wrong yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation. Um, and again, it always seems on the surface, oh, they've got all this money. And, and Reggie Bush even alluded to it as well. It's, it's not quite that simple. There's a lot more that goes into it. Nothing's really ever black or white. There's always a level of gray in it. And, and that certainly is the case here as well. Uh, let's jump over to our AFC North and NFC North breakdowns. We'll go through it. Uh, we'll start with the, the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that had the number one overall pick. That obviously being the, the biggest thing with their offseason, uh, selecting Joe Burrow number one overall. In is Joe Burrow, out is Andy Dalton. They also pick up T. Higgins, excuse me, on offense from Clemson in the second round. Uh, the the longtime tight end, Tyler Eifert, is gone. He goes to the Jaguars. Um, really on offense, those were the major moves. Cordy Glenn is gone along the offensive line, as is John Miller. They bring in Xavier Suafilo from Dallas, who started some games there a season ago. But from an offensive standpoint, the, the major takeaways here are certainly Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. Yeah, absolutely. Plus the fact that, you know, they franchised A.J. Green, so they brought right. him back. Uh, free agent signings. They uh, brought in uh, DJ Reader. Um, but, uh, you know, this whole offseason is going to be dictated on what Joe Burrow does or doesn't do. Uh, if, if Joe Burrow busts and everybody else plays great, it's going to be remembered for what Joe Burrow does. Sort of the way we spoke about last week, where everything's going to be in Miami will be dictated by what Tua Tagliavoa does. It's going to be magnified more so with Burrow considering he's an Ohio kid, considering he's coming off such a sensational season, uh, just had a great year. And now, even though you got a great receiver like A.J. Green, who you brought back, you got another good receiver like T. Higgins, who you mentioned, you got some other pieces in place. But now Joe Burrow is going to be expected to put this uh, franchise on his shoulders and carry it forward. Yeah, certainly some interesting moves on defense as well. You mentioned bringing in DJ Reader. They lose Andrew Billings, but certainly Reader is an upgrade there. I really like what they did at the linebacker position. They go get three players in the draft with high upside, which we've discussed previously, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and Marcus Bailey. And then they kind of bring in this veteran in Josh Bynes, who in a way should probably very much be able to mentor those three. He's just position and, and really kind of finds ways to succeed no matter where he goes each year. Um, and then at corner, they, they basically swap out two guys for two guys, two veterans for two veterans with, you know, moving on from Dre Kirkpatrick and Darquez Denard and bringing in from Minnesota, Trey Wayans and Mackenzie Alexander. Yeah. Wayans is a guy who never lived up to expectations. Uh, but, you know, if he comes into uh, Cincinnati, which already has a couple of solid cornerbacks, he can play nickel back. I think that's a win. And like you said, they, they completely remade their uh, their linebacker unit in the offseason with Davis Gaither, with Logan Wilson, and a guy by the name of Marcus Bailey, who they took uh, in the seventh round, who was highly rated coming into the season by scouts. He was great as a third-round pick, had a knee injury, missed almost the entire season decided to uh, go enter the draft rather than uh, go back for another year, which he probably could have applied for a medical redshirt for. And Bailey, if you get back him, uh, you get him back up to uh, to prior playing form, along with Wilson and Davis Gaither, you may have a starting entire linebacker unit that was selected in the 2020 NFL draft. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the Bengals in a nutshell. Let's move over to the Cleveland Browns in an offseason that, in my opinion, was really about surrounding Baker Mayfield with the talent that he needs to, in their case, hopefully be successful. Um, the biggest moves, of course, uh, in the, that really came in the front office and coaching staff, gone are John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens, in are Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry uh, as general manager. 
Um, they bring in Andy Janovich uh, for a seventh round pick from Denver, uh, Austin Hooper at tight end. They bring in Harrison Bryant from the draft. And then, of course, the big ones is re- really making that offensive line uh, at the tackle position, bringing in Jack Conklin from the Titans, as well as De- Jedrick Wills uh, from Alabama. Defensive side of the ball, they bring in Andrew Billings, who we just talked about a moment ago, as well as Jordan Elliott and Adrian Claiborne. Uh, they lose a couple of solid linebackers in Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey, um, try to replace them with B.J. Goodson from the Packers, as well as Jacob Phillips from LSU. Um, secondary, they trade out some some safeties for some new safeties. They get Grant Delpit. Uh, they bring in Carl Joseph from the Raiders, try to re- revamp his career. Um, and Andrew Sandejo from uh, the Vikings, who, of course, Kevin Stefanski is at least somewhat familiar with. Um, and they move on from Eric Murray, Demarius Randall, and Morgan Burnett at the safety position as well. But this this was about surrounding uh, Baker Mayfield with some talent and certainly improving his offensive line. Absolutely. I, I mean, this was an offensive-minded offseason. I was surprised that they let both of those linebackers go, who you mentioned. But, uh, I mean, the first question is, how does Jedrick Wills make the transition to left tackle? Can Jedrick Wills make the transition to left uh, tackle? Not just physically, but also mentally. Because if he can't, if he doesn't, you know, you basically uh, drafted a right uh, right tackle with the uh, 10th pick of the draft after signing uh, a right tackle on free agency, the big money. So, you know, what to watch in this uh, draft, as far as I'm concerned, is how Jedrick Wills uh, handles the left tackle position. And I think it's a situation where he's really going to suffer from no rookie minicamp, from no regular minicamp, from no OTAs, because he's a guy that's really going to need uh, repetition uh, making the switch. Uh, I, I do like the fact I think they got one of the biggest steals in the draft and filled a uh, position of need at safety with Grant Delpit. I think that's good. That's going to work out uh, wonderfully for them. I, I think it was, it was a great selection. And I think the signing of Austin Hooper is also major. I mean, David Njoku, he could be on his way out. He's never lived up to expectations. But I think a guy like Austin Hooper with his size, with his pass catching skill, not only protecting Baker Mayfield, but giving him, you know, a consistent target. I guess the uh, the big question now with the uh, Cleveland Browns is what happens with Odell Beckham? I mean, does Odell Beckham finally grow up? Can he grow up? You know, is he, is he going to stop being the selfish uh, me player or is he going to really, you know, kind of buckle down and and worry about the team? Yeah, they have the talent on this team, you know, from the running backs in Chubb and Hunt uh, at the tight ends. You know, you mentioned Hooper and potentially Njoku. Sometimes those tight ends take a few years to kind of click. We'll see if he can, if Njoku can click and live up to that first round expectation. And he and Hooper could make a scary tandem at, at tight end. You know, the two new tackles. And again, Jedrick Wills is going to have to perform early, but they've got the talent there. And now it's about, you know, what Kevin Stefanski can do with this offense. You know, like you said, what Odell Beckham can do at wide receiver and, and certainly what Baker Mayfield can do at quarterback as well. Let's jump over to the Baltimore Ravens um, on offense. Uh, really, the biggest uh, loss here is Marshall Yonda, who retires. Um, they try to replace him with DJ Fluker, potentially. They get a couple draft picks in Tyree Phillips and Ben Bredesen. Uh, they trade away Hayden Hurst at tight end, bring in Devin Duvernay and James Prochet at wide receiver and J.K. Dobbins at running back. Um, the other major moves, I guess, on the defensive line, they've got some interesting turnover here. Uh, Chris Worley, they trade to the, you know, in, in division to the Steelers. Michael Pierce is gone. 
one. Uh, in comes Justin Matabuike and Broderick Washington in the draft. Of course, they trade for Calais Campbell as well as sign Derek Wolf. So they really kind of trade out uh, the defensive line there. And then at linebacker, we just mentioned Josh Bynes, uh, who went to the Bengals. Uh, Patrick Onwasser has also gone to the Jets. And in their place comes two rookies, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. Um, those were kind of the, the major moves, Tony. I think it's a situation where with the Ravens where, you know, they were close. A lot of people were surprised they made such an early exit in the playoffs last year after playing so well in the uh, during the regular season. It's a situation where they're just looking for a few pieces and they hope that uh, quarterback Lamar Jackson can play as well as he did last year and maybe make the next step. I don't think I think with Ben Bredesen and Tyree Phillips. Uh, at guard, as well as as well as uh, DJ Fluker, I, I think they will have uh, someone who they can slide in there. I think Patrick Queen. I was not very high on Patrick Queen myself, but I think he's a terrific uh, fit for that system. I think getting Malik Harrison, who may end up as a starter if he's coached correctly, uh, could be a steal. And the Ravens have a, a knack for uh, developing uh, players, especially defensive players and linebackers. They franchise uh, Matthew Judon. It would be interesting to see if uh, they keep him or they try and trade him. I also like both of the uh, defensive linemen that uh, you mentioned, Clay, that they signed a free agency, Clay Campbell and Derek Wolf, especially Wolf. I think Wolf brings a bit of leadership and intensity that is infectious. Yeah, two Baltimore Ravens, you know, type of players through and through at the defensive line there with Wolf and Campbell. Let's go over to the Pittsburgh Steelers and close out the AFC North. You really, you could make a strong argument that the biggest thing here is the return of, of Big Ben and Ben Roethlisberger and, and what he's going to be able to bring back to this offense after having, you know, to go through Duck Hodges and a variety of quarterbacks a season ago. That's going to be their biggest improvement. Uh, they make some uh, moves. They get some bigger bodied players for Big Ben and Chase Claypool from Notre Dame, as well as Eric Ebron over from the Colts, um, you know, some minor moves. They, they get Derek Watt from the Chargers and gone is Roosevelt Knicks. Um, in this, Stefan Wisniewski and Kevin Dotson along the offensive line. Ramon Foster retires. On the defensive side of the ball, Javon Hargrave is going to be a major loss for the interior of that defensive line. Uh, they get Carlos Davis in the draft and the aforementioned Chris Worley. Um, they bring in Alex Highsmith uh, at edge rusher. They lose Tyler Medikevich and Mark Barron at linebacker, Artie Burns at corner. But uh, really kind of the bigger moves here, Claypool, Ebron, and, and kind of the return to Big Ben. And players they hope will facilitate a quick return for Big Ben within Claypool and Ebron. You know, Ebron, after being bit of a major disappointment in Detroit kind of found his footing uh, with the Colts. And, you know, I thought that was an outstanding pickup, especially the way the Steelers use their tight ends and get the most from their tight ends. We'll have to wait on and see what happens with Chase Claypool. He's got a huge amount of upside, uh, but he's, he's really got to learn to play to his measurables uh, on an every down basis. I'll also be interested to see what happens with Chris Worley. I mean, they've got him right now listed as potentially a nose tackle. I don't know that his best spot. That's his best spot. I always liked him at Michigan. I don't think he ever lived up to expectations when he was with the Ravens. Could be a new start for him, a, a change of scenery. Could all be well for uh, Chris Wormley. Yeah, it's, it's worth the chance. I agree with you. I was, I was a fan of his at Michigan as well. He has some upside there. I'm also with you. I don't know that nose tackle is the best spot, but we'll see how they use him. And uh, they've had some success with defensive linemen there. Uh, he'll have the opportunity to go and learn from uh, Tewitt and Hayward and players like that. And, and that certainly can't hurt either. Got to mention, yeah, mention one last guy who I think yeah. is interesting, uh, undrafted free agent signing. And that's 
Car, uh, Corliss Waitman, the punter. Uh, I, I'm not going to sit, sit here and tell you that I know all kinds of stuff about <laughs> Jerry, Jordan Berry, their starting punter, but I can tell you this about Waitman. Waitman was a guy who, entering the 2018 season, got a huge, when he was with South Alabama, got a huge grade by scouts for a punter. What happened was he was supposed to transfer to uh, Mississippi State, and the transfer fell through, so he never played football. Uh, but the guy is an outstanding punter. So, it, you know, don't be surprised if Waitman uh, at least is competing for that starting punting job. Ah, that's an interesting story. I did not uh, hear about that. My my undrafted free agent punter knowledge isn't what it once was, Tony. So I appreciate you. you. I appreciate you bringing me back up to speed. There you go. Uh, Let's jump over to the NFC North. Let's start with the Green Bay Packers, who won the North a season ago. Uh, they bring in Jordan Love at quarterback, uh, probably not expected to play too much in 2020. Uh, A.J. Dillon at running back, uh, Devin Funches at wide receiver. Uh, they Jimmy Graham leaves for Chicago. In comes Josiah DeGuerra, their third-round pick. Uh, they lose Brian Bulaga, and at the moment, at least, Jared Valdir at offensive tackle. Um, Rick Wagner comes in from Detroit. Uh, they also get some sixth-round offensive linemen in John Runyon, Jake Hansen, and Simon Stepaniak. Uh, they lose Kyler Fackrell uh, to, and Blake Martinez to the Giants. Uh, they bring in the aforementioned Christian Kirksey from the Browns, as well as Kamal Martin from the University of Minnesota. And at the moment, at least, Tremont Williams remains unsigned as well. Thoughts on the Packers offseason? I mean, it was interesting. You you got to look at it as either glass half full or glass half empty. I, I mean, you know, the the trade to move up and get Jordan Love is not going to reap early dividends, uh, early investment returns, but it could be something that Packer fans look fondly upon, you know, down the road. And granted, we could care a lot of NFL fans could care less about down the road, but that's the way you have to look at it. I thought the Christian uh, getting Christian Kursky was, was an outstanding move. Just as long as he can stay healthy, he is a perfect fit for that system. He is a run-and-chase linebacker who makes a lot of plays in space. Uh, I thought that that was an outstanding uh, signing. You know, I, I know a lot, of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of Packer fans are upset that they didn't get more or they didn't come away with a bigger uh, receiver or bigger name receiver. They didn't get a receiver in the draft. I don't know how they feel about Alan Lazard uh, being a starter there. You got Devontae Adams. I think that's a hole. You're going to just have to wait and see what happens there. Yeah, I think what the, the story at wide receiver is they needed a number two, right? They've got the alpha in, in Devontae Adams, and they really have the depth. Alan Lazard, Devin Funches, Equinemius St. Brown, Mark Wesvelda Scaling. They have guys who've played in the league. They've got number three, four, five, six receivers. They didn't need specifically more depth. They needed a number two. When the run on the first six receivers go in the top 25, I think they were then out in the first round. And then there was another run with Denzel Mims getting picked right before him in the second round. I think that was really the last, you know, chance at them of potentially getting someone that was another, you know, a number two receiver. Um, they could have obviously gone after somebody like a Robbie Anderson in free agency. Um, they decided to go with Devin Funches. We'll see how that plays out. They didn't have a ton of free agent money to deal with, but I think that's the story there is they, they weren't necessarily looking for depth. They, they needed a, a top end guy and it just never really came to fruition. And Robbie Anderson would, would not have cost them a lot of money uh, comparatively, uh, especially what he was asking for. Uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, what happens with the three guys they selected in round six, the three interior linemen, John Runyon, Jake Hanson, Simon Stepniak, you know, if they can actually make the active roster, uh, you know, with guys like Elton, Elton Jenkins still uh, still on the depth chart. Uh, that'll be just an interesting side story for myself to watch. 
Yeah, as uh, you know, knowing the Packers as I, I kind of know them, uh, Jake Hansen and John Runyon, I think, are going to be uh, pretty good bets to make the team. And I think Stepaniak may end up uh, starting on the pup list, and then we'll see kind of what happens from there. Let's uh, let's jump over to the Detroit Lions. Um, some interesting moves: they get two rookie running backs in DeAndre Swift and Jason Huntley. They also Huntley, excuse me. They also bring in JD McKissick uh, at wide receiver. They bring in Geronimo Allison from the Packers as well as Quintus Cephas uh, from the Badgers. And then uh, offensive line, they get Big V. Uh, you want you know his name, Tony Halapalavati Vitai. I'm gonna, I'm going to try my best there. Uh, Jonah Jackson and Logan Sternberg uh, from the draft. Uh, they lose Rick Wagner to Green Bay. Uh, defense, they raid the Patriots a little bit. They get Jamie Collins um, as well as uh, Deron Harmon. Um, you know, yeah, those are kind of the major moves corner, of course. Uh, Desmond Trufant, Jeff Okuda, and Daryl Roberts are all in. And, of course, Darius Slay and Rashawn Melvin are out. Um, those are kind of the interesting moves on my end. Uh, what are your thoughts here? We'll just call him Vitae. Uh, that, that's the easiest way to say it because I'm not even going to try and pronounce his first name. He, you know, um, he wanted he, he was hoping to sign with the New York Jets. The New York Jets were in it. But what happened was the Lions, who were in desperate need of a starting right tackle, just outbid the Jets and the Jets would not meet, uh, match his price, which is why Vitae ended up with Detroit. I think that was an outstanding signing. I'm close with people in Philadelphia. They always liked him. They think, think he's a versatile guy who can play left or right tackle. Whenever, you know, he had to come off the bench and move into the starting lineup, he was always ready to play. He was always uh, someone that, you know, could be relied upon. And I think that, uh, that you know, this is that was a signing that the uh, that the Lions are going to look back upon fondly. I think they obviously filled a position of dire need with Jeff Okuda in round one. And that, I think, is a, was in a sensational pick that they're going to look upon fondly. And uh, Julian Aquara, I think, is a guy who, you know, funny now, he's, he's there with his brother. Uh, he's a guy who I think could unseat his brother. He's a terrific pass rusher. He's an outstanding athlete. And he's a guy who just has to learn to play at a high level on a down-in, down-out basis. Uh, DeAndre Swift was great value at the top of round two. You know, most of the, the – uh, you got Kerryon Johnson there who's more of a bigger back, who struggled to stay healthy. Uh, DeAndre Swift, I expect them to be very productive right out of the gate for the Lions. Yeah, fantasy football nerds uh, won't love it too much because now, you know, uh, on Johnson and DeAndre Swift uh, will be kind of probably splitting some carries. And, you know, even Jason Huntley and J.D. McKissick could be, you know, used in certain situations as well. So uh, they won't be a fan of that, but I'm a fan of it for the Lions as well. A couple other moves I failed to mention. Uh, defensive line, they bring in Nick Williams from Chicago, Danny Shelton as well from the Patriots. They also get John Penasini and Jay Sean Cornell in the draft. Um, but gone are Damon Harrison, Ashawn Robinson, and Mike Daniels at the moment, who remains unsigned, as does Damon Harrison, actually. So um, that, those were some interesting moves, kind of trading out their defensive line. And then Devon Kennard was a, really an interesting move for me this offseason as well. Somebody who I thought always kind of played well in Detroit him outright he I think a day later gets picked up by the Arizona Cardinals or at least very soon thereafter um and got a really nice deal with the Cardinals surprising to me that they just kind of let him walk for for nothing Devon Kennard has played well everywhere he's gone and I think he's very much been underappreciated he was a good player at USC he went late in the draft to the New York Giants because he wasn't a fast guy but he played well for the Giants made his way to uh, Detroit he's one of those guys that you know, you don't expect a whole lot from, but he just shows up week in and week out and plays very well. So, you know, I would agree with you, but I think throughout his career, 
Devon Kennard has really gone underappreciated. Yeah, he absolutely has. And, you know, maybe with the signing of uh, Jamie Collins, who, you know, kind of a similar player that maybe the writing was just on the wall and they wanted to go in a different direction. But that was a, that was an odd move for me this offseason for Detroit. Uh, jumping over to the Minnesota Vikings, uh, for, first of all, from a coaching standpoint, they fire George Edwards, their defensive coordinator, and Kevin Stefanski, of course, goes to the Browns as their head coach. Uh, Gary Kubiak is in as the offensive coordinator, and Andre Patterson and Adam Zimmer will split defensive coordinator duties. Uh, really, some of the bigger moves at wide receiver, gone is Stephon Diggs and Laquan Treadwell, in are Tajay Sharp and Justin Jefferson, as well as uh, K.J. Osborne, who they got a little bit later in the draft. Um, they get Ezra Cleveland in round two. Michael Pierce comes in from the Ravens. Um, Linval Joseph and Steph, uh, Stephen Weatherly, both gone. I really I think he fits well within that defense. And then they really change out a lot in their defensive backfield as well. Xavier Rhodes, Trey Wayans, Mackenzie Alexander, all gone. They get Jeff Gladney in round one. Cam Dantzler, I believe, in round three. And I think Harrison Hand in round five. Um, Josh Metellus, they get in the draft as well. Um, and then Andrew Sandejo and J. Ron Curse are gone from safety. Um, a lot of changes on the defense when you really look at it. And then the wide receiver position as well. Yeah, I, I, I think they got a lot of players who fit their system. I, I mean, Gladney's going to start at, at cornerback. I think eventually Ezra Cleveland, the second round selection, who I think was one of the biggest steals of the draft, is eventually going to start. They, I, I don't know that you can, they're going to miss Laquan Treadwell all that much because he never really no. produced. Justin Jefferson, obviously, big things are going to be expected from him. It's just a matter of, you know, can they make the transition uh, or can they continue on with the loss of, of uh, Kevin Stefanski? Uh, and how does that offense look now? You know, Kirk Cousins is what he is, even though we signed a new deal in the offseason. He's more of a game manager than a guy that's going to uh, carry the team on his shoulders. And I think he needs a lot of help around them. They obviously got him help with Justin Jefferson, with Ezra Cleveland, uh, Kyle Hinton, the guy they took in the seventh round. I don't think he's going to he'll be uh, a starter as a rookie, but he'll, he'll also help. Uh, defensively, yeah, they made a lot of changes on defense. Got to keep an eye on DJ Wanham because they're going to be looking for another outside pass rusher, and he's got that interesting uh, player that they selected, Kenny Willekes from Michigan State, a guy who's not the greatest athlete but just plays like his hair's on fire. Yeah, I really liked what the Vikings did in the draft. It'll be interesting to see just how well they can replace some of those players like a Stephon Diggs and like a Linval Joseph. Um, Everson Griffin, too, another player I failed to mention. Um, you know, th there's certainly some talent that's gone from that team, and it'll be up to some of those rookies to try to fill fill in the gaps there, and that'll really tell a, a major story with what happens with Minnesota this this upcoming season. And then, oh, go ahead. And I, you know, and I think, you know, just to, uh, I hate to be redundant, but, you know, how do they move on now that their offensive coordinator, who's had so much success, never mind the stuff on digs, you know, won't be wearing uh, Viking purple this year. Yeah, it's, it's two major losses, both in Stefaniak and Diggs for their offense, and that's certainly going to be something they're going to have to replace on both ends. And it's just, just a lot of change um, in an offseason where uh, they're, they're not going to have a ton of time potentially to, to kind of deal with that change. So we'll see what happens in Minnesota. And last but not least, the Chicago Bears. Um, gone is offensive coordinator Mark Helfrich um, in his Bill Lazar. Uh, Nick Foles, of course, they acquire from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they kind of trade out speed for speed. Gone is Taylor Gabriel, but in is Ted Ginn and Darn, uh, Darnell Mooney. Uh, tight end, they make some interesting moves. Uh, Trey Burton gone, who's you know kind of been banged up and, and probably wasn't uh, worth the contract he was at anymore. But they bring in Demetrius Harris, of course, Jimmy Graham from Green Bay, and Cole Komet from Notre Dame. 
Um, along the offensive line, Kyle Long retires. They lose Cornelius Lucas. They bring in Jermaine Effetti and a couple late round, uh, seventh round offensive linemen in Arlington Hambright and Lachavia Simmons. Um, edge rusher, I think is interesting as well. Uh, they bring in Robert Quinn, who had his first double digit sack since I want to say 2014, uh, playing across from, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, um, last year in, in, in Dallas, and he'll come in and now be able to play across from Khalil Mack. Uh, they also bring in Barkevius Mingo and Travis Gibson, uh, Leonard Floyd and Aaron Lynch, both gone. They lose Nick Kwiatkowski at linebacker, uh, Prince of Makamura and Haha Clinton Dix are gone and they'll try to replace them with, uh, Jalen Johnson, who they got in the second round and Tayshawn Gibson, the longtime safety. Yeah, I think Robert Quinn was a terrific signing. I know Dallas yeah. really wanted to bring him back, but they were so, uh, hamstrung by the cap. They had no uh, no space for him, and Quinn wanted to uh, return to Dallas, but they just could not give him a, a, a competitive offer. He's an outstanding fit for that system. I, I think he'll do very well. I, I thought the uh, making Cole Komet their first pick in the draft in round two was a sensational choice. Jimmy Graham, I mean, you know, he's going to be – before you know it, he'll be receiving Social Security checks. He's been in the <laughs> that long. Great player, but, again, he's not what he was. I think Komet comes in and fills a need. <clears throat> the bottom line for the Bears is, <clears throat> you know, what happens at the quarterback position? Does Mitch Trubisky ever live up to expectations, or does he continue to flounder and be a disappointment? And if he does disappoint, what does Nick Foles have? I mean, because I, I said it at the time, you know, Nick Foles, the Philadelphia Eagles was the perfect situation for Nick Foles. He wasn't expected to be the number one guy. He basically basically came in behind Carson Wentz. He's in a situation where a quarterback-friendly situation for a franchise that has consistently developed players at the position. And he had to eventually leave Philadelphia because you can't have that situation where you got a guy like Nick Foles. The backup quarterback is always the fan favorite, and then the backup quarterback brings a team to the Super Bowl and wins the Super Bowl. You know, they they had to get rid of him. Jaguars gave him all that money, get rid of him uh, after a year. You know what's going to happen. If Trubisky does not come out of the gate hot and he's not playing well the first week or two of the season, everybody's going to be screaming for Nick Foles. I just don't know that Nick Foles is really going to be able to replicate uh, for Chicago or any other team for that matter what he did for the Eagles. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, Chicago was stuck between a rock and a hard place where they had to basically uh, hedge their bets a little bit in case Trubisky doesn't develop, but it almost puts more pressure on Trubisky. And again, you know, fans are going to be clamoring for folds if Trubisky, you know, has one bad game. And I just think that maybe that's not always the best case scenario either. So this is a major, major upcoming season, in my opinion, for the Chicago Bears and what happens for the future of their franchise. If, if they can't figure it out at quarterback, it could ultimately mean, uh, you know, new GM and eventually new head coach even though I think Matt Nagy does a really nice job. Um, and if all of a sudden Trubisky clicks and they have that defense with Robert Quinn and what I think has the opportunity to be the best front seven in football, along with Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan and the entire rest of that group, um, then, they, then they could have something. So I think this is a major season for the Bears. You know what? And, and so what if there's pressure on Mitch Trubisky? I mean, yeah. he was taken early. He was taken uh, so early in the draft after basically just having one productive season as a starter. Uh, the Bears made that move up to get him after signing Mike Lennon to a significantly large contract in free agency. You know what? There should be pressure on him. He's a third-year pro now. I mean, I know everybody wants things yesterday in, in the NFL now, 
But there was a time Bill Parcells used to say, you know, three years out, you're going to tell whether a guy deserves to be in the league or not. This is three years out. So if there's well, tons of pressure on him, too bad. It's because he has not lived up to expectations. Yeah, to be fair, Nick Foles or not, that pressure was probably going to be there anyway. So I'm right there with you. All right, Tony, this is fun. I love going through these breakdowns and seeing who went where and and, and what teams, uh, you know, kind of brought in talent, lost talent, et cetera. We'll go through the AFC and NFC South next week. I can't wait for that. Any closing thoughts today? Anything you'd like to plug on your way out? No, not really. I, I mean, uh, actually, anything to plug starting Monday <clears throat> at uh, Pro Football Network will begin my summer series, my traditional summer series on uh, NFL prospects from each conference. So the first conference that'll be up all next week is the MAC. Not a whole heck of a lot there, but there are some names that people should keep an eye on, some sleepers that people should keep an eye on. And then uh, the following week, we'll move into the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. Um, and then it'll start to pick up with the Big Ten, the ACC, things like that. So uh, the draft never ends. We're talking about the draft, the 2020 draft. Right now, starting Monday at Pro Football Network, although that we've some of the other writers and some of the other guys have already been uh, speaking about or writing articles about the top prospects of the 2021 draft, we'll start to get into more of the meat and the potatoes of guys that you got to keep an eye on once the college season starts. Absolutely cannot wait. It's kind of the best part about the NFL draft is it, it never really ends. It's a 365-day endeavor, and uh, we'll be here to cover every ounce of it and really pick your brain the entire stretch of the way, Tony. Uh, great stuff as always. We'll talk next week again, breaking down the NFC South and the AFC South. Maybe we'll get some news, or maybe Jadavian Clowney will finally you know sign somewhere, and we'll kind of be able to talk about that. But uh, until next time, make sure to check football network make sure to check out all the other great podcasts on pro football networks podcast network Uh, but until next time we'll see you next week everyone 